What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, the crypto trade is on fire, or as the kids say, lit. lit. It's not just Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum going parabolic as everyone tries to get a piece of the crypto craze. We've got every angle covered. As it is Bitcoin week here on Fast Money. The biggest crypto ballers joining us all week long tonight. The biggest Bitcoin baller of them all, Mike Novogratz, is here to give us the inside scoop about when his crypto fund will launch and at what price he would consider taking profits on Bitcoin. And of course, if you've got crypto fever, you don't even have to look away from the screen. We've got our Bitcoin watch fired up. We'll be tracking the price via Coinbase throughout this hour. But first, we start off with the Dow on fire, both the Dow and the S&P 500 closing at a record high. The Dow up more than 150 points at the highs. Both indices posting their fourth day of gains. And this, of course, with the help of tax cuts on the horizon, as it does look like a deal on the bill is close. So let's get to Elon Moy in D.C. for the developing story. Elon. Melissa, Republicans are closing in on the final version of the tax bill. Two sources briefed on this plan tell me that the corporate rate will land at 21 percent. Now, it's unclear whether that'll kick in right away or not until 2019, but that is slightly higher than the 20 percent rate that was in previous versions of the bill. Now, the top individual rate, that would fall to 37 percent. That's lower than the Senate's original proposal for a 38.5 percent top rate. The deduction for mortgage interest, that would apply to loans up to $750,000, and it would only apply to new loans. Existing mortgages would still be grandfathered in. Also, the deduction for pass-through businesses, that would now be at 20 percent, so not quite as generous as Republicans had hoped for. Now, a White House official has confirmed all of these details, and they said that the president, that these uh, represent, quote, the current state of play, with the caveat, of course, here, that nothing is final until everything is final. But this does appear to be the tentative deal that Senator John Cornyn, a member of GOP leadership, had referenced earlier today. Now, markets did get a little spooked when Senator Rand Paul tweeted this afternoon that he opposes any measure that adds to the nation's $20 trillion debt burden. But Paul later clarified and said that he was talking about negotiations to keep the government open, not the tax bill. Republican members of the tax bill's conference committee are slated to have lunch with President Trump at the White House tomorrow before holding a public meeting later on in the afternoon. Melissa, back over to you. All right. Thank you very much, Elon Moy in Washington for us. It does look like tax cuts are coming down the pipe. So what do you do now? What do you buy? Which stocks stand to benefit? The most, Guy Adami. So, I mean, we've, I've been saying, well, we've been saying for quite some time, I think they're going to ram something through and they're going to do it by Christmas. President Trump said he wants to give the U.S. citizens a big, fat Christmas present in the form of this tax bill, and I think it's going to get through one way or another, whether it's 20 percent, 21 percent. I'm not really sure that matters to the market. What do you stay with? Let me give you two quick buzzkills, but then come back to what's really interesting. 
The fact that the VIX was up today, I think, is interesting. Maybe it's on the back of the Fed meeting tomorrow. Right. Maybe it's just been, you know, people just starting to get ahead of themselves too I much. I could be a buzzkill when the VIX is still at, at Because you know, it's been 10. going straight down when the market's been going. You know, the, the market has been volatile. It's been going down. And we've right. been pointing it out. So to not point it out when it's up, I think you're doing a disservice. The you other thing it. is the Russell closed lower today, which yeah. is something to bring up. On the other side, banks continue to trade well. Pete can discuss that. But Goldman Sachs, having failed at 255 a week or so ago, two weeks or so ago, down to 248, ratcheted right through back that all-time high. Now that becomes a buy and a breakout. So deep industrial names that we've talked about, Honeywell, Ropers, and the banks. One percent move on the banks in today's session. Is that ahead of the Fed meeting and the Probably. anticipation of rising rates I, or tax? I put that more in front of the Fed meeting yeah. and not, not as much about the tax. I think if you're talking about just specifically tax, I'd look for yeah. U.S.-centric companies and companies that, that pay an incredible rate. CarMax pays 37%. Home Depot pays 36%. That's going to come down. That actually is going to be a big boost to some of these, potentially anyway. But I don't think you deviate from the plan. And the plan is what's been working and what are the fundamentals? We're strong in technology, in my opinion. We're very strong in the financials also. So I think you can stick with those names. But if you're specifically targeting who's going to benefit in the tax, I think those two names I threw out there. What's interesting is that finally a lot of analysts on the street are, are coming around to the notion that there could be tax. And it's actually named in the reports yeah. that they write, in the research that they're generating. We had two upgrades, at least two upgrades today, that specifically mentioned tax as one of the drivers behind the upgrades. Uh, Nomura on, on Verizon, as well as UBS on ConAgra, both right. saying that the tax rate is going to be beneficial. And, and this is the thing when we, we fought, we fought about this for a while, are these priced <laughs> in? But if the analysts are now going to come out and start upgrading their models, then that's actually going to drive these stocks higher. So I do think you can probably buy those. But I also agree with Pete and Guy on Goldman Sachs. I was wrong last week. I said the sell it at 255, thinking we'd get a double top there. Absolutely wrong. So now you got to flip. you got to buy that breakout above 255, and you hold it longer. Look, I, you guys are right. First of all, Guy, everyone wasn't calling for a tax reform. I think you were. So I think good for you. I think a lot of people that felt that this could get done um, are the ones that sit on the right side of the ledger. The other people that are going to be upgrading this tax reform is the Fed. I don't think that, that, that banks rallied today because of the Fed. I think banks rallied because people recognize that these guys still have an enormous amount of valuation. Uh, but that's I think, been a fact upgrade. forever. Right? Well, I mean, that, but, that, that, but that, did you need the Fed to meet today to know that they're going to go tomorrow? I mean, in fact, the question really, and this gets back to my point. Transparent, right? That they're going to go tomorrow. I, I agree. Right. But why do you need to, to rally banks today that the Fed meets when you, we've known that Seems all too along? Well, but, but here's the thing. <laughs> the right? If you, get, that if simple, you get these tax cuts and you stimulate the economy, then maybe they're going to go a little faster than the market had priced in two days ago. Which is, which is I think, good for banks. And I think right. if anyone can withstand what, what could be an overly aggressive Fed. Remember today, we got PPI that's at six year highs. We got UK PPI that's at five year highs. We got small business sentiment, which is we haven't seen since 1986. Folks, we're getting to a place where policy policy is following through on expectations. That, to me, means that the Fed is behind the curve. And, and right now, the market is pricing in two and a half Fed hikes in 2018, not five in the next 13 months, which is what I think we get. And that is the one wild card to what everybody's saying. And I think it's something to so think about. So you're saying about. the Fed could derail the rally? Because Absolutely. we're not pricing in the yeah. upward risk to raise. I, I think there's going to be different ways you're going to see this. But I think when markets feel like they are offsides, there are going to be these days it's going to inject a lot of volatility, as guys at least drawing attention to. But you cannot tell me PPI, which is now at six-year highs, is not a big deal for this market, which now has got more fiscal policy being chucked at it. Um, and that isn't even in the Fed's eyes yet. Are we going to see that risk in the news conference tomorrow, Janet Yellen's in last? 
in terms what of the, the potential of higher than what we are thinking, what the market is thinking, uh, rates next year. Do you think she addresses that in tomorrow's news yeah. conference? I think the language will be benign. You know, yeah. she's going to go out on a high note, I think. I think they have this well orchestrated to Pete's point. They have been transparent. I happen to agree with Tim. I think the Fed will inevitably derail this thing because that's, quite frankly, what they always do. But we have, you know, think about it. Uh, we have Tony Dwyer comes on all the time and talks about how, you know what, yes, they will, but we're at least 18 months away from that happening. I, I think the yield curve is flattening at an alarming although pace, I, but nobody I, else seems to care. And I, I love Tony. I think Tony's also been out there with some calls that have turned out to be right, right so yeah. let's be clear about that. I think when people talk about the length of this cycle, this economic cycle and this bull market cycle, you have to also think the opposite side of what people say. It's not 18 months until the curve inverts when you finally get recession or when the market starts to respond. Uh, I actually think the market respond a lot sooner because we're we're basically nine years into a bull market. We're five years into an economic expansion that's real, and we're probably mid to but late expansion. But are you expansion. surprised at all that, Pete, that the market's gone up the way it is with tax reform, as, as guys have been mm. alluding to for a while now? Everybody said it was priced in. If it was priced in, why have we still shot up over the last month and a half or so? So I've disagreed with the idea that this has been priced in, and certainly as we continue to move, that I think is what. But that, where do you think we are? So you've probably so been right on that. Well, how, yeah, I mean, no, how, I know how I'm much right is, on that. No, well, no, no, well, whatever, no question Pete, that. You need to be right. That's fine. But well, I mean, I am right. caps have rallied about 16, to be right. They've rallied sixteen percent. Right. So how much is left? Well, uh, let me and ask be, you this: pat yourself on the back all you want. But I mean, I'm asking you, you know, from here on out. I find that very comical coming from you, Tim. Quite frankly, because when I really look at this entire thing, you've got to look at it and say, have you ever thought that it's priced in? How much of it is priced in? Oh, I, I thought I, none I of it was priced have. in, and I'm now it's starting to move to the upside. I'm not disagreeing with that, Pete. What I'm telling you is right now, you're telling me you still think none of this is priced in? Oh, now it's getting priced in. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. It's getting priced in. But it but wasn't priced, priced in. in. And two months ago, it was priced in. Three months ago, we were here. I, I have in. had questions how much is priced in for sure. And I'm not telling you that you haven't said it's got room well, to go. Looking back I just on think that, Tim, small looking, caps have moved 16%. Right. I think a but lot of that. But looking back at every juncture in time when you thought maybe it's priced in now, can you look back and say, you know what, maybe it wasn't priced in because we have good. moved through those levels. And maybe we're underestimating so he can pat the impact of tax. Right? It's not about patting Tim. Tim. I mean, I mean, look, the bottom line is I do think <laughs> we've had a lot of policy fall through here that I'm not even I, sure I think the point people is, expected when this thing is passed, when this thing is passed, is this sell the news? Or is it not priced in and you stick with it? No, because you got seasonality at work for you as well. So I, I don't think it is sell the news. I mean, that would be the logical thing to say, but I think, you know, seasonality is such that it's going to continue to grind higher. We're going to come here on January 2nd, whenever the market reopens, there's going to be people putting new money to work in the new year, and we're going to have the same conversations that we seemingly have the last couple of years. So I, I think it will get done by Christmas. Mm -hmm. I think the market will continue to grind higher, and I would imagine that that will continue through January. And remember, the next thing we're going to start fighting about, whether it's priced in, is infrastructure spending, <laughs> right? Right. So now all of a sudden, you've got people one. with more money because their taxes went down, or some people, right? Now and then, infrastructure spending, an economy that is doing quite well, we're going to fight about that for a couple months. All right, coming up, the man who called Bitcoin 10,000 and then 40,000, Mike Novogratz is here. He'll tell us uh, where he thinks Litecoin and Ethereum are heading next. Plus, Facebook billionaires are revolting. Why are the people who helped create the social media company now slamming it? We'll explain and tell you why it could be the ultimate buy sign. And later, Jim Cramer says you're making a mistake if you're shorting or selling Disney. And it's got nothing to do with the Star Wars franchise. He'll explain why it's all systems go for the Mouse House. Much more Fast Money right after this. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Investors liking Facebook's return shares up more than 50% in 2017. But some of the billionaires who helped create and got rich off the social media giant have been slamming the platform. I think the tools that have been created today are starting to erode the social fabric of how society works. And what I meant by that is the following thing. Today we live in a world now where it is easy to confuse truth and popularity. How do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? It's a social validation feedback loop that, that it's like a, I mean, it's exactly the kind of thing that a, that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in, in human psychology. At 1.8 billion active users, you don't get a mulligan. You don't get to mess with democracy and not be accountable. So are the Facebook billionaires right? Will these faults catch up with the stock or does the company's dominance mean now is the time to keep on buying, Pete? I would say the genie's out of the bottle. I mean, you know, do, do I agree with what they're saying? And do I do agree with Chamath, particularly talking about his, his own family? Doesn't get to use it, doesn't get to be in front of a screen, get outside and play, skin your knee, and all the yeah. other things he talked about? I agree completely with that. That's the way I raised my kids as well. Social media is way off into the distance. But the genie's out of the bottle. I think it's there. It's there to stay. And video and all, the growth that they have created and the addiction that is created by social media, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't see that going away. Part of the narrative, though, for Chamath's argument, though, is you don't know who the players are. You don't know if they're, they're dominating the, the conversation because they're paying to dominate the conversation. You don't know what their intent is. And that leads to that whole notion of will there be government regulations uh, that will be forced on these guys that will cost them money to make sure that all the ads on there, all the content on there, is legit. Or they will spend a lot of money to make sure that it, they yes, sidestep it or avoid Absolutely. it and look like they're being preemptive. So I think that's something to think about. Yeah. And Zuckerberg talked about the spend increase in 18 for exactly those yeah. reasons. Mm -hmm. I agree. So I agree with it. And the reasons to be bullish Facebook, we've talked about, we don't have to go through them again. I'll say this, though. I do think there's going to be a, a day of reckoning, whether it's Capitol Hill or something else for Facebook. So what does that mean now? I'm not saying you got to abandon the stock, but I do think there's going to be some there are going to be some bumpy roads ahead, and I think it's going to come in the form of a lot of pushback, whether it's a government or some sort of uh, action groups. Well, we've seen this before with the tobacco stocks. You've got an addictive product, right, that everybody wanted to have, and now you have the same thing again. So I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow. You're not going to see Zuckerberg hauled in front of Congress tomorrow, but that is kind of the black swan for this. In the meantime, think about this. You now have customers that are addicted to your product and want to use it. That's, a, that's exactly what you want as a business. So as an investor, I would stick with Facebook until proven otherwise. Moving on, guess what Chinese internet stock hedge fund legend Stan Druckenmiller told Kelly Evans that he loves. I really like Tencent and I really like their position. They're, you know, they're in uh, payments. They've got their own version of Netflix. They got their own version of cloud. WeChat is probably the best platform on the entire planet for all of it. And then they have a gaming business. Tencent shares up more than 100% this year, but are off about 10% from recent highs. So 
Tim, are you in this? Uh, I'm in this. I've yeah. been in a long time. I think Stan's got the right idea. Think of the things he just talked about. So they're number one in gaming, and that trades at a one-time peg. They're very, very big in China in terms of payments. That probably trades in about a six times peg. Uh, you think of their ad revenue and the monetization they're getting. You think of the Yuku, the, the Yuku and effectively what they're doing in terms of their video and the subscription growth. The volatility in the stock has had people very concerned. It traded from 55 in the pink. It trades in the pink sheets here, by the way. Very liquid. Very liquid. We normally don't talk about those names, but if you want to trade that one here, you can. And actually, you're not messing around in an illiquid stock. But if you think about the move, it's gone from 55 down to 45, rallied back up to 50. Um, this is a very real company. Mm -hmm. uh, and to me, uh, I, I think the growth is very much ahead of these guys. Does this get caught up in the tech rotation out of tech, that is, that we've seen here in the United States? I, I, I suppose it could. Sure. I mean, I, as Same people trade. are rotating around and all the yeah. rest of it, I guess a real quick question for Tim, if you don't mind. Bob or Tencent? Which one uh, Ooh, would you rather? Would you rather? Uh, nice I, I, you know what? <laughs> Just want to throw it in. You know, it's a great point. I think it's Tencent because, again, yeah. the, the, Bob dominates, but I think the four or five business models that Tencent has, they've also proven that they are spinning off data center. They're spinning off infrastructure plays in the tech place. They are a VC they've company. Uh, trading trading as, so as a public point, right? company. I love it. And, but it's also a great trading stock, too. So you, now you have this company who has multiple product lines addressing a massive, massive market and volatility. So for a volatility junk like myself, you got to trade this thing. You got to be in and out of it and make sure, you know, when, when you're up, sell into those rallies and buy those dips. All right. Still ahead. A number of stocks are surging with Bitcoin, but there is one name that has Brian Kelly yelling, buyer beware. Whoa. He'll explain what's got him so worried. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. His prices are... Take that insane! That's what traders are saying about four of the cheapest stocks in the market. And after we tell you the names, you might say the same. Plus, ludicrous speed! Go! Litecoin has gone ludicrous, doubling in just one day. So where does the man who called Bitcoin 10K think it's going? Hedge fund titan and crypto baller Mike Novogratz will reveal when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The world has officially gone crazy for crypto, and a number of the so-called altcoins have gone wild today. Bob Pisani is at the New York Stock Exchange with more on the Bitcoin boom. Bob. Hello, Melissa. Trading Bitcoin isn't enough anymore. Now they're moving into other cryptocurrencies. Okay, so let's take a look at what happened today. On the Coinbase exchange, this is the largest cryptocurrency exchange, Bitcoin was up just 1.8%. Litecoin was up about 70%. What? Ethereum was up about 28%. What's going on? Some appear to be taking parts of their profits from Bitcoin and buying into other cryptocurrencies like Litecoin. The theory is that Bitcoin traders could take their big profits and move them into Litecoin, which hasn't moved as much, and that would then rally even more. Investors would make even more money. You get the idea here. So trading was so heavy in Litecoin and Ethereum on Coinbase that buys and sells for both Ethereum and Litecoin were temporarily disabled different parts of the day. What's Litecoin? Well, it's just another cryptocurrency, essentially. It's the fourth largest cryptocurrency by market capitalization behind Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Bitcoin Cash. What's the difference between, say, Bitcoin and Litecoin? Well, like Bitcoin, Litecoin runs on the blockchain, which is a public ledger of transactions. Like Bitcoin, there's a limited supply of Litecoin, 84 million Litecoin versus 21 million for Bitcoin. Now, some say... It's better than Bitcoin because it has a faster transaction speed than Bitcoin. What's that? Well, Bitcoin transactions don't happen instantaneously. That's very important. Each transfer requires a number of confirmations that can take several minutes or more. Litecoin 
supposedly can do it quicker. Now remember, there's hundreds of these cryptocurrencies out there right now. It's hard to keep up with them, and it's not clear where the winners in this will all end up. Back to you, Melissa. All right, thank you, Bob. Bob Bassani. So as Litecoin lights up, we decided uh, to change our bug. No. We made a new animation, so check out the bottom of your screen now for our official Litecoin watch. Wow, quite yeah, a long there it one. is. 360, now you can watch it all show long. As it lights up, um, Bob was talking about the transaction speed. And for yeah. you, you think that was the key behind the rise so that's, today. Right. That's part of it. So Bitcoin generally will take 10 minutes for each for each confirmation. Litecoin's much faster. So what people, traders are doing is they're using Litecoin to move between exchanges because it's very fast. It's faster to get Litecoin from one exchange to another. And there's these arbitrage opportunities that have popped up. And some of them are quite large. So traders are using Litecoin. And they're somewhat indifferent about the price because they're just using it as a as a movement type of mechanism as a vehicle uh, and then they'll go back into Bitcoin and the other ones. So you think that the rise in Litecoin is temporal? Does that make it more <laughs> fragile? I, you know, these things go up every single day. Does it make? No. I mean, I actually think there is there is a very good use case and a very good fundamental case mm -hmm. for Litecoin. They've been ahead of the curve on many of, on much of the technology, the Lightning Network, uh, atomic swaps, these kind of crazy things that people are talking about. And, I, you know, Charlie Lee's been a great leader of that of that uh, community. Uh, for more on Litecoin's meteoric move and the crypto phenomenon, let's brand Mike Novogratz, of Galaxy Investment Partners. He called Bitcoin 10K, then the recent move as well. He is the original crypto baller, a friend of fast money or fast crypto, as we like to call it these days. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Um, so in terms of this move in Litecoin, do you like Litecoin? Where do you, you stand know, on Litecoin versus I actually call Litecoin the, the poor man's Bitcoin, I think, maybe last time I was on the yeah. show. And, uh, and so I'll have to eat my hat because I'm glad I wasn't short. Um, listen, I think... Uh, They've got a very uh, agile promoter. Uh, they've got an okay technology. Uh, you know, this lightning network, uh, which a lot of people have been talking about, I think is why it moved today. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think we'll have the same legs that Bitcoin would. Uh, I'd sell it here versus buying Bitcoin. Uh, you have to remember, this is what a speculative mania feels like. We are in the middle of a speculative mania. And kind of phase one of this whole crypto decentralized revolution is just selling the story. None of these protocols are going to be ready for prime time for at least two to three years. And so we're selling the story about what the future is going to be. And people are piling on. And so right now, everything is store of value. Right. Uh, and so, you know, why does Bitcoin go up and the other ones lag and then it goes up? Because most crypto players don't want to go back into fiat because they don't want to pay tax. And they think if they go back into fiat, the tax man might catch them. So you keep it in crypto. So you keep it in and crypto. And you just move it around. I think in the long run, that's a you know, they're going to end up uh, having to pay their tax. They're supposed to pay their tax. I think the IRS will, will get pretty smart pretty quick now that the, the dollars are getting big. Right. As you as I feel like every single time we have you on, you have an even bolder and bolder call when it comes to whatever cryptocurrency we're talking about, specifically Bitcoin. I'm wondering when when you talk about that mania and being in the midst of that mania, does it make you concerned that the mania seems to be progressing maybe even faster than you think? So, you know, I I underestimated the viral network. Actually, yeah. I should have learned just being on Twitter for the last month. I'm new to Twitter. Uh, watching just how fast information moves. And so, you know, this is spreading. You've driven up Twitter stock price too, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> this is literally uh, moving, you know, at lightning speed around the world. And so we're accelerating what would be a normal bull market phase. I mean, you look at this on any chart. I've, I was writing logarithmic charts today, and, and it's doing things that markets have never seen. And so it's a big caution. you got to be, you know, listen, market cap is now a half a trillion dollars. 
Uh, I thought end of last year it could be a trillion. Heck, it could be there in three months. Um, but in the speculative phase, you just, you know, shorting it is really dangerous. Uh, but I wouldn't recommend, you know, going out on your credit card or mortgaging your house to buy any of this stuff. So you had said the last time you were on this show that Bitcoin could hit 40, 40,000 uh, sometime in 2018. Do you accelerate that call? Do you say, you know what, we've moved this far now. This is going viral. It's got to be higher. So I think, listen, at this pace, it could hit 40,000 in three months, um, two months. Uh, there are risks out there. I mean, the biggest risk is Mr. and Mr. Regulator are going to come out and say, whoa, 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 whoa. We've got too many stories of, you know, people starting to borrow from their credit card. And, and when prices are moving this fast, it gets regulators nervous. Um, so, Mike, you talked about last time you were here that the herd's coming, that the institutional investors are coming. You're out there talking to institutional investors. Where do they stand? Are they in this market or are they not there yet? Absolutely not. I, actually, I was actually up speaking to one of the biggest pension funds in the world, and they had 50 people in their office. They knew more about crypto than most of us. I mean, they're doing their homework. They're not in as an institution. My sense. Can they not be because of their mandate? And will well, they change no, no, their no, mandate? Or are they guys, just. All of these guys are looking at this as a potential asset class. Uh, and I think. Mark my words, when Goldman Sachs starts trading it, you're going to see the big pensions start coming in, right? So as more and more credibility comes, the futures was a big deal. Uh -huh. uh, getting some of the banks to participate, that'll get the pension funds in. And so I don't think the speculative phase is, is over. I think it's going to be bumpier than it has been. Um, and it, I don't know if it lasts three months, 18 months, two years. Uh, it will end at one point. And the second chapter of this decentralized revolution will be when these actual protocols start working. So right now you're you're planning to launch your fund next year in, in you know, early next year uh, or so. End of the week. The end of the week. Yeah. Did you move that up? <laughs> really? Uh, no, no, no. We, we, we had we had listen, you know, <laughs> launching a fund is always challenging. Uh, I wish we had launched it three months ago. Sure. Um, because it would have been much, much easier investing. And so at one point you just start. And so we're going to start and uh, and we'll see from there. So I think I asked you this question last time, but what does your, right now, what does your allocation look, given the runs that we've seen and everything that's gone on since the last time we spoke? So, listen, I, I'm i a trader at heart, and so right. sometimes I trade and I say I seem smart. Last time I think I told you I had sold a bunch of Bitcoin at 10000 11000 and didn't buy those back, and you can imagine how much that's cost. Um, I'm guessing on a on a dollar basis about half invested at this point having taken profits on some things okay. you know waiting for volatility are you personally or through your fund going to be looking at other ways to invest in bitcoin or blockchain whether it be investing in some sort of exchange or a platform to trade or anything like that you know our company we have investments in exchanges and in companies all, all across the ecosystem in mining um, and so originally I, I had this thesis that you're not smart enough to pick just the winner, and so spread your bets. And so I've spread my bets all over the table. Out of the investments or the types of investments that you have that are outside the actual cryptocurrency, what do you think could be the most disruptive at this point? And granted, a lot can change over the next couple of years. Well, listen, the best investments by a long shot have been these exchanges. The exchanges are printing money right now. And so, God, you, you wish you owned a big chunk of Coinbase uh, or Bitfinex or any of these, these big exchanges. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's just going to be a race to the bottom in terms of the commissions? Because that seems like the next... You know, once you have a lot of exchanges and, and a lot of platforms, it's like the E-Trade, Ameritrade, Schwab sort of war that we've seen ongoing. You know, we're still early on in the building of this thing. The, the hard part is getting money from exchange to the exchange. And so we've looked at banks that are 
funding these, mm -hmm. these exchanges, right? The traditional banks still haven't wanted to participate in the crypto space. That's partly reputational. That's partly protecting their own, their own uh, turf. Um, we've been in a bull market for basically everything right now. I mean, stocks, <laughs> crypto. Can, can Bitcoin go higher if stocks crash? I mean, if we see a major correction Yeah, I think so. Stocks. Because if you think about kind of total market cap of Bitcoin is still two-thirds of Apple, um, it's not enough that you're going to see the wealth effect shot. If Bitcoin was a $2 trillion market cap, then I think there'd be a lot of correlation, right? You're losing money in stocks. You better take profit in your Bitcoin. But you have a different investor base, right? The crypto investor base, you're starting to get more and more crossover people, but the core crypto investor base, they're not looking at the S&P. They really aren't. They're, they're looking at all their different coins. And, uh, and so I think it's still a pretty uncorrelated asset. Mike, obviously cryptocurrencies are disruptive. I don't know the answer. I might mean to be glib. If it's as disruptive as we all think it is, what industries are being disruptive? Then the question is, are there companies out there that you can short in terms of stocks? So right now, no industries are being disrupted. Uh, the biggest industry being disrupted is gold, right? So Bitcoin is, is, got, is the, one of the few use cases for the blockchain right now, uh, gold being store of value. The rest of the, current, the, rest of the coins are promises of the future, right? There will be a decentralized Uber that could disrupt Uber, but none of them are ready to play because the, the, the public utility, if it's Ethereum or if it's EOS or if it's Hashcraft, the kind of global decentralized supercomputer isn't nearly fast enough to process anything. And so, you know, we're two to three years out from when we're going to see the real disruption happen. But there's going to be decentralized cloud computing, decentralized file sharing. Are we actually seeing the disruption to the gold market? I mean, I know a lot of people like to say that it's com competition for gold. But if you take a look at holdings in the gold <coughs> ETF, they've been the at the highest level since May 13. So, I mean, May of 2013, not May 13th. <laughs> um, so if it's not a competitive store of value, can we actually say it's a store of value? I mean, because that seems like whenever... You ask somebody, well, what is it? It's a store of value. It competes with gold. What if it's not actually competing with gold here? Well, it's different, again, different user base, right? Okay. And so old people and, you know, tradition, 5,000 years, people have seen gold as a store of value. And this new generation says, hey, this can be a store of value. And so are there some people long Bitcoin, short gold? Very few, but probably a couple. I think gold is probably uh, going to fall because interest rates are going to go higher. Okay. Uh, remember, gold's a pretty ser serious negative carry instrument. I want to switch gears here, and I know, um, you know you're the crypto baller. We'd like to talk about crypto. But I want to talk about taxes with you. Um, there's this quote out there uh, in a Bloomberg article here, uh, and you talk about the Treasury Secretary, Stephen Mnuchin. You said about Steve, um, Steve Mnuchin never even modeled the thing, the tax plan. Idiot, I-D-I-O-T, spelling it out. And then you say Gary Cohn shouldn't be able to live with himself. No. Well, to be, first, I should apologize. You should never call anyone an idiot. And, and it was out of context. My, my thought was, if no one had modeled that, that's pretty idiotic. Uh, because tax reform and tax code is unbelievably complicated. I look at this tax plan, I don't understand how it, it turned out uh, the way it did. It doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, my thought on Gary Cohn was, as a New Yorker, you know, how could you let it happen to us? Uh, because it does feel like the tax code is you know, penalizing the coasts, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the states that didn't vote for Trump at the benefit of the, the states that did. And that, that doesn't seem the smart way to, to do tax. You live in New York? I'm a New Yorker. You're a New Yorker, right. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, you can have a, a crypto fund anywhere in the world. Mike, would you I, move? I love New York City. You're going to stay here no matter what, even if they jack up your taxes. Yeah. Yeah. We're making enough money in crypto to pay our taxes. <laughs> <laughs> good answer. Right on. Um, last, last quick question. Is tax reform going to be good for the stock market or is it all priced in? You know, I think in the short run it might be priced in. Uh, I think what will be good for the stock market is the economy is growing. The Fed is still re going relatively slow. Uh, tax reform is a net positive. Um, and so I think you're going to see some correction in the next few weeks. Uh, people have been long. They, you know, hedge funds have had long short equity funds have had great years. And so there's going to be both tax selling and end of year selling. And so I expect a 3 to 4% correction. But I don't think the bull market's over. All right. Mike. Great to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. Hope you'll come back. Mike Novogratz of Galaxy. Oh, he'll be back. I hope so. Well, yeah. No, he said the exchange is the way to play it. I mean, not that the Nasdaq's all that involved. Another all-time high. CME Terry Duffy's going to be here, I think, later this week. Chicago Mercantile Exchange, to me, is still the way to play it. And we've been saying that before cryptocurrencies were big. This is just a cherry on top. What's interesting is, is you know, the relative value that seems to be taking place within the crypto space. Mm -hmm. So, again, when Bitcoin futures came out, it seemed like, okay, wow, we know this is going on. We know that people are getting behind it. What's next? And it was as if the, others, the other eight or ten main cryptocurrencies sold off going into that event, and they rallied like crazy after it. So, really, you know, he highlighted, you know, Mike made it very clear. This is a trader's paradise. These are inefficient markets. I mean, the U.S. Treasury bond market at one point was like this. In other words, what I mean by that, there was not proliferation of information. This is a trader's paradise, and that's why it'll go on. Yeah, the one thing I would say that, that Mike's, you know, and I would agree with Mike, this is a speculative frenzy. Be careful there. Make sure you're taking profits, right? If something goes up 70% in a day, don't be afraid to sell some. I bought some Litecoin a week ago. I sold some Litecoin today. I took some profits. I still have a, a, a position in it, but, you know, just, just be, use your head a bit. Still ahead. It is Bitcoin week here on Fast Money, and we've got a PSA on one soaring stock that is masquerading as a Bitcoin play. And it could be very dangerous for investors who are buying it hand over fist. We'll give you the name. Plus, a number of so-called cheap stocks are surging, so are any of them worth your money? The traders will go bargain hunting when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The S&P 500 hitting new record highs today, and a number of the cheapest stocks in the index have also been surging, breaking it down as a man who is by no means cheap and definitely worth every penny. Dom Chu. Wow. <laughs> I, I do like to think of myself as worth the premium price point, Melissa, but what we're talking about are stocks that aren't exactly trading at a valuation premium, but have still managed to generate some decent gains, decent gains for investors so far in 2017. So we took a look at the S&P 500 companies that are trading at a discount valuation to the overall index. In this case, we used straight up trailing price to earnings ratio. So a number of cheap valuation stocks have turned in. We've got the airlines. They've been a laggard for pretty much all of this year. But Delta has managed to earn around a 10% return while trading at at 11 times earnings. You got automaker General Motors trading at around nine times earnings. It's a 19% gainer this year, which is just about in line with the S&P 500. Online marketplace eBay trades at around six times earnings. It's gained 26% this year. And then computer chip maker Micron trades at 10 times last 12 months earnings and has nearly doubled in price this year, a 92% return. So the value versus growth trade will be one to keep an eye on as we head towards 2018. 
This year, the Russell 1000 growth ETF, that ticker IWF, has handily beaten that Russell 1000 value ETF. The growth is up 28%, value is up 11%. So, Melissa, does that trend remain your friend, or are we due for that reversal of fortunes? That's something to watch. Back over to you. All right. Thank you very much, Dom Chu. Who likes cheap? These cheap stocks. Well, there are some cheap stocks. Oh, good, BK. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, the one of that group that I've actually been wrong on is Delta Airlines and the airlines in general. I did not think that would do, do as well. And I think if you get a breakout here above, let's call it 55 or so, that's going to be a nice way to play. And I think the dynamic that's going on with a lot of these is that you do have a lot of these funds that have had a big year, long and short. And so they're unwinding these positions. So you've seen some of the short uh, the, the names that had big short interest rise a bit, too. So you could get a breakout in Delta, and I'd play that. You know, and even the CEO of Delta was surprised by how well they've done, actually, this year. But I, I still go back to GM. I like a company that trades in the single digits. They've got some growth. They've got some margins. And they got great cash flows. And I would throw in Micron in the same category. They got earnings growth that's potential. Some people think it goes from single digit to double digit. This thing is way too cheap if that's, the, if that's ever going to happen. So I own those two names. I throw in one more that I jumped in today, yeah. Ford. Oh. Ford has not done anything forever, it seems like. But when you look at what their U.S. sales look like, when you look at what they can potentially do internationally, and the cash flows there, and you look at this thing trading in the single digits, that's another name that I think is cheap. Tim? Well, yeah, I mean, Delta and GM, yeah, I agree. I mean, these are two ones that I'm long, and I like them not just because they're cheap, but I think they're, the, the perception of these two companies are that they're always perennially on the wrong side of both efficiency and their business model. GM finally seems to not be getting priced for peak auto. That's a good news, and I, I think, as Pete said, they're hitting it at a 6% dividend yield, too. Delta has their Four. investor meeting on Thursday. My sense is they will say good things. To BK's point, above 55, it absolutely breaks out. We've had that conversation a number of times. So if you ask me to pick amongst those four, I think Delta looks the most interesting right now. All right, coming up, Disney's latest Star Wars installment, The Last Jedi, comes out this week. So will the new movie give the stock the force it needs Ooh. to soar higher? We've got a very, very special options action. Plus, a handful of stocks are soaring off the Bitcoin boom. But BK, Brian Kelly over here, says buyer beware. One of those names could be very, very dangerous. He'll break it down. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Something is not right here. Oh, there it is. Bitcoin bug is back. All right, yeah. now we can continue. Oof. All right. Fox and Disney could announce a deal as soon as this Thursday, according to our own David Faber. This as Comcast officially stepped out of the battle last night. Take a listen to Jim Cramer talking about what the deal could mean for both Disney and for ESPN. One of the reasons why I like this so much yes. is that you will now hear talk that if Disney really feels that there's a problem with ESPN, they combine it with Fox and they can spin it off to shareholders. Okay. Fox Sports. Right. So suddenly, like, the narrative, I thought BAM Tech whoa, whoa, whoa. was going to change Fox the Sports is not going with ESPN. No, not that. I'm, I'm sorry. Regional Sports now. Regional Sports. Sure. If you've been shorting Disney or selling Disney because of ESPN, it might be a mistake. How likely is Disney to spin off ESPN with the regional sports channels it could acquire from Fox? And is Jim right? Is it a mistake to bet against Disney or Iger, for that matter, Tim? I think it is. I also think that ESPN, in terms of uh, there's, a, there's a new measurement. It's called Total Live Audience Measurement, or TLAM. But in other words, their ratings have actually gone up 14% on a measurement of this. Uh, and there's now actually possibly an ad tailwind for these guys. I would never count out Disney. I would never count out ESPN. They are still the dominant player. There are certain subsects of the sports industry that are, that are challenging. But again, BAM Tech, why shouldn't they be in control of their destiny? I think they are. The challenge is the, the long-term contracts 
with the NBA and the NFL. And those are huge numbers. I mean, we're talking about billions per year each. So that's the biggest problem right now with ESPN. Now, do they spin that out? Maybe. Would that be the worst thing in the world? I don't think so. Yeah. I think it could be a positive. But if they hold on to it, I don't know that that's a negative for Disney either. There could be some sort of cross, you know, where they put the entire sports networks together then, and that, that could be a plus too. I like that Bob Iger's not just sitting around and he's kicking around and it looks like this Fox you deal. Think right. he'd have that's, one foot out the door. I mean, he basically does, like but he, he's, right. he's he really did. He flew onto the sector. I yeah. mean, he really, he he really, really did. did. It, yep. it, it spurred on a lot of valuation. It, it started with that earnings call, I think. The conference About three call. earnings calls ago, but yes, to your point, the last one yeah. specifically. But he, he, he sort of righted the ship when it was a $94 stock, earnings call, mm-hmm. $92 in the post market, and rallied the next day. And we had that conversation. Viacom, by the way, has had a pretty stealth rally off of 24. Yeah. I think it's 29 and a half now. So if you're looking for stocks, in my opinion, that are still cheap, that still have room on the upside in the environment that we find ourselves in, Viacom B. With The Last Jedi set to hit theaters this Friday, options traders are betting the force will be strong with Disney. Mike Coe is out in Austin, Texas with more. Wait, wait, that's not Texas. That's the Death Star. Mike's at the Death Star. When would you go to the dark side, Mike? <laughs> the day I decided to go trade options, I guess. But I think everybody <laughs> else should join me. It's hard to resist. Um, so we did see, actually, above average. Options activity in Disney today, calls were outpacing puts by about two to one at midday. And the most active calls were the January 110s. Ultimately, over 6,000 of those traded. The average price was around $1.70. And so those are bullish bets being made that Disney could rally by about 5%. When you consider that the Fox assets are being acquired for approximately 15 times forward earnings, that is accretive. Do the math, that gets you right there. So I can understand why they would be making bets like these ahead of earnings. That's when these would expire. BK, are you bullish on Disney? Well, I don't, yes. I, I don't think you bet against Bob Iger at all, particularly a guy that doesn't necessarily need to be there. He could have retired. You don't bet against them, so I'm, I'm bullish on Disney. What happens to uh, some of the other studios out there, the content? For content example, is king. For example, a Lionsgate. Well, I mean, we have our friend from Lionsgate that we've talked about for quite some time. That went from Now the stock's LGF, A and B, mm-hmm, correct? Yeah. But we've liked... We've loved that stock since day one of this company of this show, and I still think you got to be. Do you think we see more in M and A? I mean, I, that's the yeah, interesting part. Is are we going to see right? Is that going to spur more? I do. Yes. You do. I absolutely do. So who, I think who there's. Who? A, well, I just think that there's this grab for content. I mean, you know, and obviously we we talk about CMCSA all the time, Comcast, and if they're out of this Fox deal, now what? And the guy keeps bringing up Hulu. Uh, but there's there's got to be something else that they're going to have to make a move on. I would think. Yeah. All right, Mike, thanks for that. Uh, Enjoy the Death Star out there. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, it is the one stock that is up more than 600% in the last three months, thanks to Bitcoin. But the traders on the desk say buyer beware. The stock isn't all it's cracked up to be. We will explain when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Companies are still feeling Bitcoin's halo effect. Check out the year-to-date performances of names like Square, Overstock, the CME, and CBOE. And it doesn't stop there. People are so hyped up on cryptocurrencies, and one company in particular, Riot Blockchain, has caught the attention of Brian Kelly, and not in a good way. The stock has soared more than 600% this year. You see it at the bottom of the ticker. It may not, though, be what you think. BK says 
Buyer beware. Oh. Yeah, abso absolutely. Listen, I traded through the internet bubble and I saw stuff like this all the time. People would put .com at the end of the name and the stock would fly. So what is Riot Blockchain, okay? This is a company that used to be a biotech company. And when I say used to be, I mean like a couple months ago. They were selling metal equi medical equipment, biotech equipment. They have absolutely no experience in blockchain technology, in cryptocurrencies, and what have you. They paid $12 million for a company, for a cryptocurrency mining company, with assets that range anywhere between 2 to $4 million. And you can just buy them online. They bought a bunch of cryptocurrency miners. They didn't need to buy a company for $12 million. They could have spent $4 million and bought the exact same thing. So that is a huge, huge red flag. Why are they doing that? Their corporate structure is very, very strange, very convoluted. They're not just buying assets, they're buying multiple companies, and there's multiple different share classes in there. So let's see what happened to this, this stock, Riot Blockchain. Okay, so BioPTix, I guess it was called. They're now selling off all the assets of BioPTix, uh, all, their, all their medical equipment. So they changed their name. Obviously, somebody caught wind of that beforehand. It ramped up. Then all of a sudden, you start seeing this thing go sideways. Then they start buying assets. They say they're in cryptocurrency mining. They name themselves Riot Blockchain. And all of a sudden, here we are from a $45 million market cap to a $235 million market cap. I haven't seen them put $1 in the bank from this. Mining is very expensive. I'm not sure that this is actually a blockchain company. So you need to be careful is the so bottom line. So here. basically, they spent $12 million to buy a miner, and they gained about $200 million in market cap for that. That's a pretty good deal on their part. At it's least. a great deal on their part, and they also paid themselves a pretty hefty special dividend as well as part of that. Interesting. Buyer beware. This is definitely a small cap stock. Thanks, BK. Yep. Up next, final trade. trade time. Pete Najarian. Well, I love Dom Chu because he alerted us to what's cheap out there and I still like it. It goes higher. GM, giddy up. Tim. Did you check out Brent at 2000 and June 2015 levels? Oil services now moving higher. Halliburton, get there. Our resident uh, baller. Oh, yeah. baller, right. Yeah, well, I, baller. yeah. For me, I need a break <laughs> from some of the volatility of uh, cryptocurrency. So I think you buy Tesla. That's a low-ball name for BK. Oh, it, it does pale in comparison. E. I like Dom Chu just because I love Dom Chu. Of not, not, to like. Yeah. Dom's, not to like. Well, he not sticks to around till five. I know he's the hardest oh, working yeah, guy in the network. communications. That'll get you done. LLL. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks so much for watching. See you back here tomorrow at five for the continuation of Crypto Week here in Fast Money. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC.